from how I know We'll meet again Not sure quite where And I don't know just when You're in my heart So until then Wanna smile Wanna cry Saying goodbye Hello and welcome to episode 1000 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by our Patreon supporters and the Play Index at Baseball Reference. I'm Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer, joined for the last time as co-host, at least, by Sam Miller of ESPN. Hello. Hello. So for the longest time, we've known what we were going to do for 1000, at least in the broad strokes, and usually we don't know what we're going to do in the next episode, but we've known years in advance that this is what we would do for the big round number. And I guess the origins of this were, I don't know, almost 800 episodes ago, the last time we had Kevin Goldstein, the pro scouting director for the Houston Astros. And Wasn't it 900? I thought I thought we had him in episode 100 and that was it. No, we had him in 100. And then I think we said we'd leave him alone for a while. And we didn't really. We had him back on like 220 something. And then we said we'd leave him alone for a while. And I think we said leave him alone until 500. And as it turned out, we left him alone for 500 more episodes after that. But he is here again. Hi, Kevin. You know, if if this was the plan all along, <laughs> I just have to say, you, you two are horrible planners. <laughs> yeah, if we really plan was pulled out all the stops. <laughs> I know. Yeah, you you had like a when you did a milestone episode of Up and In, maybe it was fifty, I don't know, but you you did a whole big blowout and you had Scott Boris on and you had big plans and we we just are talking to you. Yeah, <laughs> so. I'm back, I feel like your listeners are just I, like summer. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> I I feel like to some degree the payoff of this show has always been the callback. It's never about like going, <laughs> it's never about going bigger. It's just about like about referring back to something that. Uh, you remember from an earlier episode and feeling like, oh yeah, I remember that episode because I, you know, I was listening then. So to me, the uh, a callback to episode 100 or whatever is like the hundredth best thing we could have possibly done with this episode. <laughs> we should have had, I mean, if we'd had, we should have had a Rawlis Chapman on to talk about why we uh, we never talk about the Reds or whatever. I, I yeah. can't even remember. <laughs> Our topic from episode one, right? Like, what was it? Whether he should be a starter or a reliever? Were we still talking about that then? <laughs> we Maybe. were, yeah. It, that was it. It was a while ago. <laughs> so, yeah. When we started this podcast, you were still doing yours, I think, Kevin, right? Yeah, it, it was around yeah. the same time. So you've uh, actually accomplished things since then, and we're still doing this podcast. It's debatable, but sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we both have had more job changes than him, so I think we've accomplished That's more. That's hopefully true, yeah. Or maybe he's accomplished more by keeping the same job the whole time. I don't know. But is your uh, is your job more fun now than it was when you first started it? Because like your, your whole thing as an internet prospect person was dreaming about the future and projecting what guys were going to do, and you can have really fun dreams about guys and they can be anything until they actually show up and they turn into what they are and so the Astros are now a a good baseball team some would say maybe one of the the best baseball teams right now and I imagine that on a day-to-day basis it's it's certainly more fun to win than to lose but maybe there's less 
dreaming or do you just have different <laughs> dreams now than you did when the team was bad but you could look ahead a few years and say well we're going to be good then was that more fun or less fun than the actual being good you know winning's a lot more fun so uh, you know 2000 2015 was was you know our most fun year or at least my most fun year uh, as an astro um you know last year I had some frustrations we you know we thought we had a playoff team and then got off to a bad April and then had some injury issues and then fell a little bit short. That's probably the most frustrating season. Now that That's more frustrating than, like, you know, you're still rebuilding. You're not expecting much from the big league team and, 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 you know, they're better, but they're not a playoff team yet and you win 50, 60, 70 games. That, that's a lot easier to deal with uh, than, than, than expecting to win and not. But we've had a fun off season. But yeah, I mean, to answer your question, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely having as much fun as I've ever had. I have a great job. I, I, I have a lot of fun. I, I watch a lot of baseball. I have my opinion about baseball is asked for, and I get to kind of work. I work with an incredible group that, that makes me smarter about baseball every day. So yeah, I'm having a blast. So uh, most of us don't really work in a kind of a team sport environment. Most of us, uh, a lot of us, work for a company that you know we maybe we hope they do well, but we don't judge our own performance uh, by the company's bottom line necessarily. Whereas uh, in a team sport, the goal is obviously to win and you get to wear the polo shirt and everything like that. So do you sort of judge how well you're doing? Do you feel good about yourself and, and the way that you're doing your job entirely based on how the organization is doing and whether it's winning? Or do you have some other kind of ways of um, feeling good about yourself regardless of what happens in Milwaukee on some June night? Sure. Yeah, no, I mean, you certainly can't. I mean, you do have to kind of remain rational about the game on a day-to-day basis. And like, I've never done the math in my, but like in my head, I can tell you, and I, and I often say to myself, like, you know, you have a rough loss, and you, know, you go to Milwaukee and you lose a game four to three in extra innings or something, and those are those are tough. And you do need to kind of hit the pillow and, and say, you know, that was less than one percent of our season, or you'll go insane. Um, <laughs> but you have no other option. You need to be able to do that and kind of judge seasons or, or judge your your you know, how good you do in, in much larger chunks, if you will. But is it still, is it still, is it, even are those larger chunks, those still the team's results, or do you have ways of judging yourself individually? Um, I, I, I'm often self-critical. I, I, I think ultimately, like, you know, what we do is judged in the standings. I mean, that's, that's ultimately kind of how things work, whether we like it or not. Uh, you know, personally, you know, my job is to, uh, you know, manage a pro scouting department and manage a pro scouting process and make sure we're delivering to, to Jeff, my boss, what he needs from this department to allow him to make the best decisions he can. So, you know, there is, you know, I know we can all, and especially, you know, teams with, with our reputation of being analytic, we can talk a lot about process over results. You know, and so we do have a process, and it's a process I'm proud of, and it's a process that I'm, I'm happy with what we get out of it. And I can take some satisfaction from that, but if the team doesn't do well, it's not going to override that satisfaction, if you will. So do they call you KG, Kevin, Goldie, Goldstein, K-Gold? <laughs> what, what are they, Kev? What, what are you known as in the office? Sarge? <laughs> most, most frequently KG. There are, because this is baseball, and baseball loves, you know, baseball people, in uniform people, uh, love to just a- add an E to something. Um, so there are people in uniform who call me Goldie, and uh, it's, it's just unavoidable. I smile and take it. But yeah, front office-wise, pretty much everyone calls me KG. 
And and so the players, like you say, the players all just w- go with uh, add an E to the first syllable. And I'm curious if that extends to the front office and within the front office. So if it's not too personal, can I ask what you called Jeff? Uh, what, what I personally, what I call him? Yeah. I call him El Jefe. Uh-huh. <laughs> to, like to his face or like to oh, other? Yeah, sure. Like, so so if somebody if somebody's like, uh, get this to headquarters and you're like, who should I deliver it to? And they uh, wait, no, it happened the other way. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had that request made to me. But, yeah. <laughs> but but the other way, the other way, you're requesting, you're telling an intern or whatever. To, it's like the pro scouting director slash courier in this yeah. scenario. <laughs> who would you who would you say to take it to, or how would you refer to him in a in a conversation he's not part of with a coworker? I would probably refer refer to him as Jeff. There's probably a small circle. I would refer to him as El Jefe. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> An intern or something. I don't, we don't really have interns. Not that I want to get into that boondoggle, but yeah, like like with a uh, you know some you know, okay. entry level person. You guys have apprentices now, don't you? Yeah, we do. I don't really know how all that works. I have, I have no such thing in my department. So the way that you watch Major League Baseball must have changed a lot now, right? Because when you were at BP, you didn't really, <laughs> you didn't pay <laughs> as close attention to Major League Baseball because you know you were doing the minor league update every night, and everyone was asking you prospect questions constantly, and it was like when a guy graduated to the majors or at least lost his rookie eligibility it was like he was off your radar he almost like you know you're still aware of him but you don't get asked about him you don't have to write about him you don't have to worry about him anymore but now when a guy graduates that's like the greatest sign that you did something right or that your your team did something right so i guess like paying attention to guys after they make the majors now has gone from like something you don't even do to something that must be one of the most satisfying parts of the job. I mean, it is and obviously I pay a lot more attention all around. Um, and some of that has come with as, as the Astros have changed, you know, in my early time here with the team, we were still in a rebuilding mode and we were in uh, a talent accumulation mode. We were trading for prospects. And so you now there's a lot of my time spent watching minor league baseball and, and talking to our, our team of scouts who are watching minor league baseball. As we've we've gotten better, we have gone into a improve the big league club mode, and you know the biggest we're not trading for prospects anymore. The biggest moves we're making are, you know, signing free agents and making trades for big leaguers, and so that kind of changes the dynamic of you know, not only what I'm doing, but what my entire entire department's doing. Where, you know, we were very much prospect focused before, and we were grabbing Gulf Coast League arms and and taking chances on guys, and we still do that here and there, but you know for the most part, you know, our focus in a big way over the last year was, was looking at big leaguers and looking at guys who are going to, you know, maybe become part of this big league club. You know, we had a huge meeting in, in November in Houston. We went through, you know, about 60 free agents and, and a, maybe an equal number of trade targets and kind of talked through all of these players. And this, that was all big leaguers, all big league stuff. And uh, it was, you know, my old department and much of the front office and Jeff and, you know, talked about all these guys that we, we're interested in and what we thought their talent was, how we thought they could help the Astros, or you know maybe not help help the Astros and you know help help Jeff make some decisions. And so the role has changed a lot from kind of a minor league focus to a major league focus. Just and that dynamic changes as the team changes. If you trade for a minor league or for a prospect, you guys have you know the collective reports of your scouts that you can review and look over and say, well, what do we as an organization think of this guy? We have these scouting reports. That's the record. When you trade for a major leaguer and another team is asking for your minor leaguers, 
What is the process for evaluating those minor leaguers in that moment uh, or maybe in advance of that moment so that you kind of know what the organizational position is on those guys? Sure. You know, I mean, we, we, uh, we cover our organization. We assign out our organization on a scouting level the same as we assign out any team. So we cover the Houston Astros minor leaguers the same way we cover the Mariners or the Rangers or the Cardinals organizations. We cover, we see them all and add them all up and, and they, we have assignments for them. We also just kind of have more information. We have more analytic information on these players because of the technology we have in our home stadiums. We have more makeup information on these players because we can talk to their coaches and their managers who are with them for, you know, five months every day. And, and that's, that's super valuable information. So, you know, we are kind of constantly, you know, as a group, kind of ranking and, and then prepping out our minor leaders. So when those kind of things come up, that we can, you know, have strong opinions that are, you know, founded on real things. Um, obviously, we don't, we don't really kind of maintain a universal, like this is the official Astros prospect list, but, um, you know, Jeff, Jeff knows pretty clearly where everybody stands on guys, and there are players who have some variance in, in how the, the, the internal front office feels about them. There's players who there's a lot of universality about it, and so it's often a tough thing, but um, I mean, it's just the most important thing you can do once you're in this position. Um, and I, when I say this position, this position where you think you have a good team, and you're more likely going to be trading prospects and acquiring them. Um, one of the most important things you can do is, is know your own system uh, better than anybody else. It's, it's, it's a huge responsibility of the club. And and in these trade talks, would the team that is trading away a player, trading away a prospect, ever be the first one to say his name? Or is it always the team that is acquiring the prospect says who they want and you work from there? Like, would it would you guys ever ways. say, okay? Yeah, it certainly goes both ways. It depends. I think every... It's it's funny. Like I think really every team we kind of have a different dynamic with, and I think that's the case for every organization. Where, like, it depends who's coming to who. You know, teams will come to us, and often it's, it's like, hey, we're just in this player. Just kind of give us an idea of what it would take, and you're not really getting any. You're kind of starting in that vague way. Uh, and other times you have conversations, or, or you initiate conversations that are much more direct. Of, you know, we would like this, and we would give that. You know, with, with exact specifics, and and that becomes a starting point. Um, so kind of, it really depends on, on the situation, depends on the players, it depends on the trade, depends on how, you know, that organization operates. So, you know, we can start, you know, starting points, I guess what I'm saying, starting points can be like very, very specific, uh, with exact packages or starting points can be just very, very vague. Uh, you know, we'd have that interest in uh, one of these players and you know, let us know what you think and you just kind of go from there. And how often do you think that information imbalance or advantage really makes a difference? Like, are there a lot of times when a team will ask for an Astros prospect and you'll think, oh, they don't know this thing that we know about this prospect. Like, you know, they don't they don't know his character. Whether it's like, you know, maybe they're overrating him, you think. Maybe you're happy that they are asking for him because you know that, you know, his coaches gave a bad report about something he did on the road one time or, you know, whatever. Some, some technology you have that the other team might not have might say that, he's not actually as good as the stats said he was, that that sort of thing. Like, is there a significant difference in many cases? I mean, I'd, I'd hesitate to say significant. Obviously, there are always going to be gaps, um, and those gaps can go both directions, and sometimes those gaps make you think. You know, you think about where you're at, and then all of a sudden, one summer, a bunch of teams are asking about this one player that you guys have, you know, internally you may maybe haven't had that high rating, and you start saying to yourself, 
boy, all these other teams like him. What are we missing? Like, what, 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 yeah. what do they see that we don't? And so it can kind of go both ways, and, and you got to make sure it doesn't play with your head too much. But, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. I mean, you know, I'm an old man. I can remember, like, the Bill James baseball abstracts, and a whole lot of, you know, making fun of GMs and, you know, taking shots, and I can't believe these guys operate like this. And, you know, even in the early days of, of, of baseball prospectus, there were still teams that you'd have to sit back and go, man, I don't know what they're doing here. I don't think that's the case anymore. Like I think every team's smart now, and and then I don't think there's like someone to to take advantage of anymore. I think every team's coming at it like it, you know it might be a different process than yours, but it's certainly a really smart process. And I think it's I think it's tough to think you're getting away with something. I know we never, I don't think we've ever really kind of you know do that deal and thought we were getting away with something. I think everything's come with some risk and then had some payoff to it, but. Yeah, at no point do you go, boy, we, get, we really got him here on this one. It just, it just, I just don't think it really happens anymore. There are, I mean, there are thousands of transactions across Major League Baseball, and a few of them are undeniably dogs. And so you can, you know, if you're if if a trade happens that is one of those dogs, you can get, you know, GMs anonymously saying, holy cow, that's the worst trade I've ever seen, or, or whatever the case may be. When you guys see a trade like that happen, is it like just this huge regret that you weren't the one who was on that phone call at that moment? <laughs> um, not really, because you kind of have to, you know, so many trades are kind of of the moment and, and of the, you know, in and of themselves. You can't just act like, you know, well, if we inserted them, boy, we could have gotten that guy for, for just this much. And, you know, that's probably not the case, actually, because, you know, if you, what you see as a dog is probably just, you know, one team either valuing or overvaluing or undervaluing a player in that deal a lot more than the industry norm, right? And that's why you see it generally as a dog. I mean, there are players who, <clears throat> for one reason or another, we see. You know, if you you could go, I have I have preface for every team. Like there are players in there who I have much higher, and there are players I have in there much lower than than the industry norm and a lot of third party prospect lists. And then, you know, and the same applies for big leaguers. There are big leaguers who I probably have much higher and and would value much more or value much less than the industry as a whole values. And those might play my recommendations to Jeff and. Sometimes Jeff might act on those, and it's going to look like it's going to look weird. Um, but I think every team does that. And I think it's about kind of having faith in your system and faith in your process and faith in the way you know you as a, as a group. And, I, and you know, for the most part, what we do is as a group. But you know, Jeff's never going. What would you? Do? I'm doing this because Kevin thinks so. He's doing it because he's actually you know taken into account what a whole lot of people think. But the but the point is like there there you know, no one has these kind of you you kind of make every decision based on kind of these average industry values, I think you're going to make average industry moves. You're not going to really hit any kind of home runs, if you will, and you're going to end up with an average team. And so you do need to take some chances, but you also need to kind of not worry about what the world thinks. You know, we've made moves that have gotten uh, roundly criticized. We've made moves that have been, you know, roundly praised. And sometimes the ones that were roundly praised were not good moves in the end, and sometimes the ones that were roundly criticized were. So, yeah, I don't think we worry too much about that kind of thing. Ben might have more specific questions, and that's all fun. But, Ben, can I, I, I sort of want to ask just like kind of a couple of like big kind of Kevin questions, if I can. Okay, sure. <laughs> all right. So, you said that you enjoy it, that you're having a good time. If I were at a party with you and I was talking to you, though, what I would ask it, like, I'm genuinely curious is this, has it been a dream come true? Like, is it really yes. an amazing, amazing thing? Or is it just like. Yes. 
Okay, so it's like a dream come true. Like, like this is like in a, the most. Is it's still the most amazing thing that ever happened to you? And you wouldn't trade it for the world. And and if uh, BP came back and offered you twice the money, you wouldn't go back to them. You, you, like you just can't be anywhere happier than you are now. Is that yeah. really wow? Yeah, no, and I'm not saying that to be facetious. I mean, I, I, uh-huh. I've I've given the speech like to my scouting group, and and I hope they all feel this way. And they they I know they've heard it multiple times, but. Now, I'll give you a good example. If I'm in Houston for work and, um, and we're playing, like we have home games in Houston, right? BP starts around 4.30 or so. And around 4.30, I'll go, well, I'm going to go on the field and watch batting practice just because I can. And I will leave our offices, which are in the stadium, kind of go uh, around to the left field corner, walk down some steps, walk onto the field. And then I'm on the field and guys are hitting. And if you walk onto a major league baseball field, well, the team you're working for is hitting, and the crowd's coming, and the music's on, and you don't get a charge out of that. Like, go home. And so, yeah, absolutely. They know this has been a great experience. It's, it's exceeded expectations. Yeah, it's been fantastic. The Astros have been great to me. They've been great to my family. I've had a tremendous number of experiences. I've, I've traveled around the world watching baseball. I, I feel like I've helped, you know, helped make a difference uh, for this team, and it's, it's been really, really rewarding in that way. Yeah, I have no complaints, man. I'm sorry to let you down. No, no, that I, I'm <laughs> but, so glad. But yeah, I, I would. Was, yeah, I mean, I, I mean at that party, I would look you, you in the eye and go, "Yeah." When you really when you tweeted the picture of the champagne, I was imagining that it would be the greatest experience, and like I was supercharged and happy and excited, and I thought, you know, like it, there couldn't be a cooler thing for anybody or for Kevin than this. And I'm so glad that four years later, uh, it holds up. Like I, I I have a I have a low opinion of our uh, collective ability to uh, to maintain uh, happiness or retain happiness. And I'm very glad that uh, that no, this I'm so held a miserable up. Jerk, but yeah, this is what the job's been great. Yeah. So do do uh do you at all ever socialize with players? Not really. No. You know, you will say hello to them and they'll say hello to you. Like socialize not in a big way. And they look, you know, obviously, you know, you see them at the hotel. You see them on the field. You know, I'm not in coaching, I'm not a manager, I'm not uniformed as as, as you know, the industry term. So I don't spend a ton of time with these guys. You know, I've I've none of I've spent more than an hour with any player at any one time. So like socialize, no. Like certainly be friendly with, yeah. Yep. And you know, you get to know these guys a little bit and you care and you know, for like various reasons and just from kind of like running into and spending some time with him, you know, since I joined this organization, the first time I saw him was an instructs. Like to be honest with you, like one of my highlights of the two thousand sixteen season was you know, Tioscar Hernandez's home run in his first game. Like that was like a moment that really touched me. Because I remember seeing this kid, you know, in my first instructs, I had this job for a month, and he just played in the Gulf Coast League, and, you know, me and another guy were just like, hey, who's the kid with the bat speed? You know, and getting to know him, he's such a good kid, and and when he came up and hit the home run, I mean, that was like a touching, really great moment, because I was able, because I did have a, a bit of a personal relationship with the guy, but like close personal, like hang out. No, not really. When you are at a, you know, cocktail party or Christmas party or whatever, and someone finds out what you do, what's the first question that most people ask you about your job? Well, I mean, I live in Illinois, so the first question is always, well, how about those cups? Um, <laughs> so I mean, that's what I deal with. I tend to, it's going to sound bad, I tend to try to avoid it. I, I tend to, I, I say I work in baseball, and they ask if they work for the Astros, and I was kind of, yeah, it's great. Because it's, it's, I don't necessarily want to turn pebble about baseball the whole time. And so I, I tend to, I tend not to, I guess would be my answer. Mm-hmm. And is Kanye spinning at your New Year's Eve party? Yeah, he's never answered my tweet. Oh. 
And I guess though he's not going to at this point. It's his uh, downward spiral, uh, personally at least, continues to happen. That was a that doesn't require any longer of an answer than that. <laughs> one, thing one thing I've noticed about baseball people in general, and not like front offices, but also like agencies, really any anybody who's around the game in a non-playing capacity, I've noticed how everybody there seems to be a, a priority put on being in shape that. Like they all, it seems like everybody's in good shape. Um, <laughs> have you know? Have here you, you are talking that? to me. Well, I was wondering <laughs> if you have, uh, if you are in better shape now than you were four years ago because you're around all these like uh, workout dudes. I, I I am the same size as I am, so I wear the same size pants. Um, I weigh the same. Uh, I will tell you this, um, which is like a year or so, maybe two years into the job now, uh, I quit smoking. Congratulations! That's so, good. So that's like so that's it. But that's it. Like I'm still fat. <laughs> you know? So I still eat like a yeah. I still eat like a pig. Um, so yeah. But you're right. Like it's it's like it's. But you're right. Like like uh, most of our front office, not everyone, but most of them are, are like kind of workout freaks and health freaks, and you know, talking about how many carbs they're intaking and things like that. You know, and and I don't. I that's not how I roll. Um, but I did. I did quit smoking. It's funny, like a scout was going to try the uh, go the e-cigarette route in an attempt to quit dipping, and I said, "Oh, I think that's a good idea. Maybe I'll try the e-cigarette route and attempt to quit smoking." And I did, and I was on the e-cigarettes kind of just as a I don't know, it comes up with my my nicotine patch slash oral fixation patch for like six months, and then I put them. I actually ran out of like the filters while I was traveling abroad, and never bought new ones, and that was that. So I'm actually like coming up on the anniversary because I remember I quit on January 2nd, but I don't know if it's three years or two or four. Good work. Yeah. Is there any pressure since you're, I mean, I know that you're in Houston often, you're on the road constantly, but you're still based in DeKalb. Is there any like, I don't know, pressure to not be working remotely? Not really. Like, like if you, it's funny, if you look at it, like at most, not a lot of, I don't know if it's most or not, it's right close to if, if it's not. Like most pro contractors like to live remotely, uh, uh-huh. they live where they live, and that's just kind of a how it works. Like I, honestly, like having me having my closest airport be O'Hare makes my life incredibly easier, and you know honestly, like makes the Astros' life a lot cheaper. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> it's it's uh, you, if you you're sucked into everyone once you work in baseball, you're gonna, you're gonna get sucked into somebody's ecosystem as far as flights and and hotels. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm United, and almost every scout's a Marriott guy. But like, if you get sucked into the United ecosystem and you fly to O'Hare, I only have to connect if I'm flying to Corpus Christi to see our Double A team or to the Dominican. Everything else is a straight shot. So that saves a lot of time because it's O'Hare, it's a hub. The flights are super cheaper, and it saves to club money. It's it, everyone's life to have a lot easier because I live here in some way. So yeah, it's not really. You know, I'm on call. No one has a. Uh, you know, Jeff can call me 24-7. He learned, he's learned not to call me early in the morning, which is not something I can say about our manager. And <laughs> you know, so it works out just fine. Like, you know, I, I'm in Houston often, and, you know, on, on crunch, at crunch times, I am, you know, when necessary, be it the, the, the trade deadline or the winter meetings, um, you know, I'm there in the room right next to right next to Jeff. So it works out just fine. Yeah, because I've worked from home for a few years, and, and it's good. I like it, and it, it works for me, and I think it makes all the sense in the world, like, 
the ringer has sort of a, a small office in Brooklyn that some people who live in Brooklyn go into, but it would be kind of crazy for me to do that all the time and commute sure. an hour and a half just to sit in a different room and write. And I, I write better kind of on my own in a, in a little bubble of silence anyway, but I still sort of vaguely feel guilty all the time <laughs> that I'm not like there being part of the team physically, I guess, even though it makes perfect sense for me not to be. Sure, and obviously, you know, in, in baseball, um, you know, during the season, half the time, our team's on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, often, Jeff travels with the team when, when we're on the road. Uh, if not, sometimes other people do. So they're not around either. The, the scouting people, you know, the scouting directors, if you will. So myself, Michael Elias, who runs amateur, uh, and also Campus, who runs international, are all kind of just running around. And if I'm at home, I, I think like if I went to the office on the days where I am at home, I, I think I'd kind of be annoying just because I spend most of that time on the phone pacing the house, uh-huh. um, talking to uh, you know our scouts and our, and very many people that we have about baseball. So you know none of my staff is in Houston either, which is one of the more, the more challenging aspects of running a department like this. So you know me being in Houston doesn't really change what I do that much in the sense that you know my whole staff isn't in Houston either. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you a, a Nori Aoki question? Sure. Because <laughs> I, I don't know at what point I somehow got associated with Nori Aoki as if he was he's like a pet player of mine. I think it was like <laughs> I when the I, I think it was when the Royals traded for him and I, I wrote about him and as I was writing about him I developed an appreciation for him because he he's like he's a good player. Like he, he he's kind of good in sort of subtle ways and he like reached on error all the time and he gets a ton of infield hits and you add it all up and he's a he's a pretty good player. And so it sort of perplexed me because he's on a different team every year. He (laughs) never gets a big contract. Not that he should get like some enormous windfall, but like he's basically an average major league baseball player as far as I can tell. If you just, you know, divide his his war by his plate appearances or however you want to figure that out, he comes out as, as an average player and he's been doing that for a while now. And yet he always seems to be available. The Astros claimed him off waivers. I mean... Am I missing something? Not that you're going to like <laughs> tell me, no, he's not actually as good as you think. <laughs> he's your player now. But like, what am I missing here? Why Why does Aoki not get uh, like a multi-year deal? Like, what is it that uh, contributes to his availability, I guess? I, well, I, I mean, I don't, I don't think you're wrong. I, I, I like, obviously I like Aoki. We like Aoki quite a bit. We were, we were really happy to get him. You know, he was a really good fit for us. And yet, by the way, let me just jump in and say, and yet you let a series of teams get him for tiny one-year deals before this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that was, it, things happen at certain things happen at times. You know, everything is, is about opportunity um, and, and and fit, and those are those are hugely those are really important things. You know, there are really good second basemen out there who we're not going to go try to acquire because we have Jose Altuve. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get better than that, and so. Uh, you know, it's, I think timing is an important thing. And when Aoki came available, you know, one of our biggest needs was some outfield help. And then uh, one of our biggest needs was some help from the left side of the plate. Cause, you know, as you guys know, we had a, a kind of a, a extensively right-handed heavy lineup. And we also needed someone who kind of made contact and got on base. And then he does that very, very well. And so he's just kind of this, this perfect fit for us. And, we were thrilled to get him. Do you think lineup balance is a is a big deal? I never know what to make of that when people say, "Oh, they're too righty heavy or too lefty he- heavy." Like, I assume it's better to be balanced, all else being equal. But right. I also assume that it's better to be 
good and, you know, skewed to one side than it is to be balanced but not have as good hitters. So I don't know. Not that you're going to give sure. away. Yeah, no, you're, yeah, you're not wrong. I, you know, you'd still, you know, if you need a lefty, you're still going to take the star righty over the average lefty because uh-huh. the star is the star. But when you're, you know, evaluating players on a one-to-one basis as they become available, which is how you kind of have to operate sometimes, you know, the fact that he's left-handed or right-handed, depending on what your need is, is certainly going to play some sort of factor here. And it does kind of help you with you know, how you build a lineup and how you create you know, possible matchup issues with the opposing manager. You know, those things, those things really do matter. And so, you know, we did, I, you know, I think in our mind we did need to add some left-handedness to the lineup. You know, we did that. Players like like Redick and McCann still would have been, you know, and then Beltran, who's obviously switched, still would have been awfully attractive to us if they were right-handed guys. But if they were left-handed, maybe added a little bit. I have it. a couple more baseball questions. We were, we were just bombarding you with trade questions. So since you've <laughs> been involved in free agent signings and free agent attempted signings that didn't happen, how big a deal are non-financial factors now that you've kind of been involved in negotiations at, at some level? Does it almost always come down to we're offering more dollars or fewer dollars than this other team? Or have you found that it really does matter kind of, I don't know, whether the school system is good or just how you pitch <laughs> the player when you're first reaching out to them or all those other factors? It depends on the player. It can be a factor. I mean, it is still very much so. It's not 100%, but it's still very much still show me the money, uh, you know, as it should be. That's fine. You know, I don't negotiate with free agents. Um, I, do, I do minor league deals. That's my gig. Um, so I sign minor league free agents, but like major league free agents, like these huge deals, the ones on MLB trade rumors, that, yeah, that's all... That's all Jeff and then and, and Brand Tom, our director of uh, baseball operations, doing those negotiations. I'm just kind of chiming in when you know when when asked, like, would you give this guy this much or would you give this guy that much? But you know, the money is, is usually what's overriding. But there are factors. There is a comfort level. There is, you know, a lot more players want to play for us since we're good than than they did when we were bad. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not perfectly natural. I think a lot of players kind of see when they play us. Or even just on the highlights, they see the kind of the, the energy and the vibe we have, and that's very attractive to them. And I think that helps us. You know, this is a money factor, but not a direct one. But there's no state income tax in Texas, uh-huh. and when you start putting that multiplier into baseball salaries, it's, it's a, it can be significant. So yeah, there are there are little things, there are comfort levels, there are places guys want to go play that want to play on the West Coast. Often their partner, their girlfriend, or, or their wife doesn't want to play somewhere, and that'll play a role. Mm-hmm. But over, I mean, money is still your leading, overwhelmingly leading factor, but it's not everything. Since you just mentioned signing minor league free agents, every year Sam and I have done a minor league free agent draft, and it's like our favorite event of the year. (laughs) And we just compete to draft like 10 minor league free agents each, and the person whose draftees get the most accumulated plate appearances or total batters faced in the major leagues the next year wins. So we're just looking for guys who get a shot to play. It doesn't even matter if they do well, and usually they don't. But our processes i don't know we're we're like googling these guys and we're looking at stats and we're trying to find research or we're just trying to find diamonds in the rough or sometimes it's someone like reed brignac who the astros signed recently who just like gets in the big leagues every year and you know plays a few games here and there so what is the process when you are actually making decisions that matter about these guys 
Sure. Uh, you know, uh, we, as an organization in general, we don't sign a lot of minor league free agents. It's uh, it's a situation where, you know, at the end of the the when this is all over, you'll see sometimes teams sign ten, fifteen. We'll usually sign like two to four, and part of that I think is a, is a tribute to like us having enough players and us wanting to see what those players can do and wanting to learn about these players that we've drafted and developed or traded for. You know, it's, it's, it's a, there is a philosophical piece to that where we, you know, we let our own guys play and then we believe in the guys we, we acquire. So we try and, you know, when we time Miley free agents, it's more of a, it's more of a need thing. So, you know, with Nolan Fontana getting claimed by the Angels, we needed a shortstop at AAA. We didn't have one. You know, we needed, we wanted to get a, you know, a catcher with big league experience. And so there's kind of more than, you're not just kind of sorting through these guys and, trying to figure out who's the best player sometimes what you're saying, I need to fill this exact role. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that, that's kind of like what happened with, with Brignac and, you know, we were, we were thrilled to get Reed and, you know, Reed grew up an Astros fan and that helped us, I think, in, in that sense of getting Reed to, to, to sign with us. But, you know, we needed, we want some more lefty depth, go find lefties, but we can't just kind of line up the minor league free agents go, I mean, I really like that player because then you got to go, well, where does he play? Yeah, that was. I was just going to ask you that. Like, how often is space a consideration? Because every now and it's, then it's, we'll it's we'll talk. A, a consideration. Yeah, because we'll we'll talk about like you know, well, where could teams spend money that they are not currently spending money, or or now that the CBA sort of limits teams in a lot of ways, how could they differentiate themselves? And people will say, well, why don't you just get two more minor league affiliates or something, or you right. know, like so. What is the what are the reasons why teams don't do that? Um, <laughs> every team has one minor league affiliate or one at each level yes. until you get down to, you know, some of the, the, the short season stuff. We have two DSL teams, um, number of teams have two DSL teams and then that, that seems to be growing actually. But, you know, if, if, if we sorted out every minor league free agent and my favorite minor league free agent, yeah, and, and our collective minor, favorite minor league free agent, all the scouting support, all the analytics support, all the technology support, everything, everyone liked this guy. And he was a corner infielder who belonged to AAA. We would not sign uh-huh. him because I got nowhere to. We got nowhere to put him. You know, how are we going to get him at bats? We're not going to get. If we give him at bats, we're taking away from players that we care about. Mm-hmm. And so space is a huge consideration. You know, there is a, a, a organic document of, of our depth chart and of, of kind of even now, like where we kind of think everyone's kind of going to begin the year. And some things can change with transactions. Some things can change with how players do this spring, but. This is kind of how we're probably going to, for the most part, I'm sure it's 90% plus accurate, how we're going to break camp, you know, with this guy in Quad Cities and this guy at Corpus and this guy at Fresno. And so, you know, we find Miley free agents not based on who we like. We we, we, we define the holes before we define the before we choose the player. And last question from me, someone in the Facebook group was wondering how much credit a scout gets for finding a great player or how much does... How much credit does a scout deserve for finding a, a great player? And I'm always curious about how you evaluate scouts, which I assume is a big part of your job, being able to tell if your people are doing a good job. And it's hard because it, it takes yeah, a while sure. to find out if opinions are right or wrong or whether they were right for the right reasons or wrong for the wrong reasons. So how do you go about that? It's a, it's a huge challenge. You're right, and it's it's a, it's, it's one of the bigger challenges that, that the industry has is just kind of grading and judging scouts, and um, there's kind of just an overall thoughtfulness to, to it that that matters as well. You know, we do give credit to scouts for finding players, but I, I, we do also you know see everything as kind of a, a, a team effort. You know, we even at the lowest levels have 
you know, we've scouting reports, we've technology, we've everything. It's, 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 we, we, the best decisions we've made have been when everybody likes a player. And, you know, the one issue I have with kind of, you know, the, the credit for finding a player is, you know, some of the best things, or, yeah, I don't, I yeah, some of the best things that we have is, uh, as scouts and some of the, the, the most valuable things some of our scouts have ever done is tell us not to acquire a player uh-huh. and to tell us to stay away from that player and to tell us they wouldn't sign that player or they wouldn't trade for that player. How do you, how do you put that in the ledger? You know, and that, that's a different thing. And, and sometimes, you know, scouts can have as much value telling you, you know, keeping you from, from making a mistake as they can from, from doing something right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think that plays a huge role in it as well. So it's not, you know, we don't, everybody keeps score. That's just part of the industry. But, you know, what counts in the end, uh, I think is something that is really highly variable beyond just, hey, we acquired this player and that scout first identified him. Yeah. All right. Uh, my last question is what you guys do, um, you guys are, you know, you're, you're a group, you work together, you are in offices, you're on planes, uh, and then you put out this product that is then judged by the world and everybody takes their own view of it and their own sort of sense of ownership of it. And I just wonder what it has been like for you to be doing work that is publicly consumed, publicly evaluated specifically. What has it been like for you to have people writing about your team and about your boss and maybe about you and maybe about your product and the players that you helped acquire? Uh, and particularly when the writing is uh, sometimes uh, critical of, of any or all of those things. Is that a uh, emotionally difficult thing for you at all? No. Cool. No. It comes to the territory. Do you take it personally? If you would, you take it personally. If like, if I wrote something about you that was critical, not you, but the Astros that was critical, would you like me less? No. <laughs> is it? Would it be? Is uh, if it was factually wrong, I might get upset. Yeah. But if it was just critical, no, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, let's give your opinions. We we we're not perfect. We've made some mistakes. I would like you less if you did it to me. <laughs> I mean, that's. I think we've always known what you, you know, you're always... I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud of that, by the way. Uh, I mean, it it might seem like I'm proud of it because I'm broadcasting it (laughs) right now. It comes comes with the territory, and I think there's something like you can either... It's like anything. It's like we talked about with, like, you know, getting worked up about the results of a single game. You can either let that drive you insane, or you cannot. And it's actually, it is is your choice. So choose not to. I, I do think, you know, I guarantee you, if you were critical in a way, and it was something that I disagreed with you on, I can guarantee you that there's some or maybe even multiple factors and the reasons I disagree with you on that are things that you don't know. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, rationally, I can't get mad at you because you've made your decision and you've made your, you've, you've, your opinion has been founded on less information than I have. I would think that not, would be I'm, so I'm frustrating. I'm not saying that's some sort of bragging way, just like that's just... Yeah. Just how it is. I work for the team. You don't. I would think it would be so frustrating, though, that people, so many people are writing about your job when you know that they don't have access to all the things that they need to know. And, no, I think it, 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 it kind of lets you know. You just kinda, it, it, it's the easiest thing to do. Think, well, you know, you don't know. <laughs> Walk away, right? And yeah, They don't know. Okay, I'm going to go eat again. You know, it's just, you know. <laughs> are there times when you think the knowing can mislead you? Like, yeah. you know, maybe sure. maybe not knowing anything can be better in certain situations than think, knowing yeah. everything? I think absolutely. I, I think it's just you have more information. You, there's more kind of the potential for weighting errors, if you will, mm-hmm. is greater. Um, so sure, absolutely. All right. Well, I should have kept track 
of how many times you said process during this podcast. It was it was a lot of times. Have you picked up any uh, other, I don't know, new age analytics <laughs> talk from the, the nerd cave people? No, no, no not really. I, I, think it's, uh, I think we embrace the nerd cave. <laughs> um, think, no, not really. I'm going to let you down yeah. on this one. What a bummer yeah, okay. way to end this thing. <laughs> well, I'm not that interested in what you're drinking, but what are you playing? What am I playing? Well, I just I got Watch Dogs two for Christmas. Yeah, and so I played that partially on on my recommendation, maybe. Sort maybe of, yeah, a little, a little bit, bit for sure. I was about <laughs> uh-huh. five hours into that. Um, uh-huh. uh, what else? I, I I played the first chapter of Hitman. Cool. Um, and then on the portable super dork level, because um, <laughs> I do a lot of portable gaming because of my job, which is that's where I kind of do my RPGs. Yes. Uh, I just finished uh, SMT4 Apocalypse on the 3DS. Okay. Yeah, that's that's on brand. That's what I was expecting yeah. to hear from you. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for being our, our big, huge headliner for episode 1000. Yeah, like plan better for 2000. <laughs> All right. Well, you can find Kevin on Twitter still but at why? Kevin but underscore like, Goldstein. Yeah, don't, don't. <laughs> you it's can. Just, <laughs> we had some fun back in the day. You missed out. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's that, Sam. It's uh, it's been an honor and a pleasure. Oh yeah, that's that's it. That's it. Yeah, I guess All this right. is it. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad that you and I are ending our tenure on a multiple of five at the end of a week and the end of a year. That part is very satisfying to me. So, I'll be back next week, and uh, things will be a little bit different. But thanks for all the co-hosting can i just say i didn't say this when sure. when we talked about when we announced it uh, two mm-hmm. episodes ago but i was thinking about it as i walked around that afternoon i it was a tr- just an absolutely incredible honor to re- uh, to replace you at baseball prospectus like i uh, as anybody who's heard me talk privately uh, but pr- probably also pu- publicly knows i just think that you're the best in the world at at what you do and so to be able to uh, to follow in your footsteps was an incredible honor. I think the only thing that could possibly be a greater honor is to be replaced by Jeff Sullivan, who is yeah. also <laughs> the greatest in the world at what he does. Uh, that is just unfathomable to me. That, like, I mean, in the first instance, they had no choice. They had to have somebody be the editor in chief, and I was close. And so they, they, you know, reached out and grabbed me. But this, you had, you know, you didn't have, like, like what, it's, it's feels, it feels different and more of an honor. And so I would just leave that there and say that I'm uh, looking forward to listening. All right. Well, you will not have to wait long to listen because although Jeff is on vacation right now, I was able to catch him in the airport before he left just so he could say hello to the listeners. So that's a series wrap on Sam Miller. You and I will be in touch in non-podcast form. And in just a minute, you'll all hear the dulcet cell phone tones of Jeff Sullivan. All right, so I thought it would be weird if we ended the year without actually ever talking to the new guy. Not that he's new to many of you, but we're going to talk to my new co-host and my friend Jeff Sullivan. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Ben. How are you? I'm okay. Where are you right now? (laughs) I am in the Los Angeles Airport International Terminal. I am about to take off for a vacation with my girlfriend. And so uh, I thought that, I guess it was Dave's idea, Dave Cameron's idea, that the funniest thing to do would be to say, hey, I am joining the podcast and I'm going on vacation. (laughs) So as a guest host, 
uh, here is Sam Miller for the next two weeks. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I don't know if Sam would have been amenable. Probably not. No, he was. Uh, <laughs> he was pretty pretty eager to get this behind him once he found out he had to. But uh, but this is just like a this is like the podcast equivalent of a proof of life photo. We are just establishing that this is not a hoax. I didn't just say that you were going to be the new co-host to buy time while you were away for two weeks and unable to contradict me. This is happening, and we're both excited about it. So we hope that you will uh, make it back from your trip intact. This is an extraordinarily ill-timed vacation on your part, at least from my perspective. From your perspective, it's it's probably a, a great time to go on vacation. Not much happening in baseball, and vacations are nice. Yeah, it definitely lent a certain sense of urgency to the uh, to the talks about the range in this podcast. But yes. in terms of the rest of baseball, well, there you go. There's the proof that I'm at the airport. So uh, you can... <laughs> yeah, that's a background. But yeah, otherwise, this is like the one time of year when it's possible to go on a uh, a vacation and not feel really irresponsible about leaving baseball behind. Yeah. So uh, kudos <laughs> slash jeers to this podcast <laughs> negotiation for taking place at what otherwise would have been the ideal time to uh, to completely get away. Well, look, I'm sure you never would have made travel plans if you'd known that you could spend the first two weeks of January talking to me about baseball instead, but it's too late to return the tickets. So tell everyone the itinerary. Where are you going? What are you doing? Oh, God, it, it always, it's hard to talk about this stuff and not feel like you're bragging in a way, <laughs> yeah. uh, but in, in, I swear, the least boastful way possible, uh, <laughs> we're going to Chile, which did just have a, a very large earthquake in the southern central area, but thankfully there was not too much damage, certainly none to our itinerary, so we're going to go to the Atacama Desert. That's the important thing. When there was an earthquake, the first <laughs> thing I thought was, is Jeff's vacation going to be disrupted by this earthquake? Well, <laughs> well, you know, there was that, and then, you know, over Christmas, my grandmother fell down, so we weren't really sure, like, how many things are going to threaten my vacation, yeah. but everything is still... Everything is still going great. Including your grandma? Yep. Grandmother is 95 and bulletproof. Chile appears to be bulletproof. And, and so we're we're still going to uh, to the desert and then down to the southern Patagonian ice cap for the uh, for the second half of the trip. So what's the highest thing you're going to be climbing? Oh, God. There's a even, we're not even necessarily climbing up in the desert, but uh, there are geysers up in the Atacama Desert. I've never seen a geyser before. I've never seen the Atacama Desert before. Uh, but the geysers are at something like 13,000 feet above sea level, mm-hmm. and they are certainly not on the top of anything. So this is a intentional week of headaches, probably, that we have planned at some expense. <laughs> but, you know, the most uh, enjoyable headaches, I think, that you can anticipate. Yeah, it's sort of, uh, it's such a tragic story that you are such an outdoorsman, and yet your job is to produce two baseball posts every day, which prevents you from going outside. So I, I like that you get to escape now and then and uh, indulge your, your true interest. That's what the summer weekends are for, except then, you know, you come back on like a, a Sunday evening and you, you sit down in front of your laptop and you think, okay, my job is to know about what's happening in baseball more than anybody else. What happened to baseball for the last two and a half days? That's like, I, I don't go on vacations, and that's part of the reason why, is that I dread <laughs> returning from a vacation because once you get back from a vacation, it's like the most depressing feeling because you were looking forward to the vacation and then the vacation was fun and now you know you're not going to get to go on another vacation for a long time and so your your usual baseline life is much more depressing than it was pre-vacation and then also you have to catch up on all the stuff you missed while you were gone which makes it even worse and the longer you're gone of course the more you have to catch up on which means you sort of follow a vacation with like an anti-vacation where you just have like three times as much stuff to to try to catch up with and twitter has made it worse because I mean, it's unreasonable to go away for two weeks and want to read all tweets that you missed, but just the thought that there's all of that that's taking place, it makes it feel like news happens more, even though I know it doesn't. Yeah. But it just makes it feel like it's impossible to actually know. 
I don't know. I'm going to come back on a Thursday, and then for Fangraphs, I have a chat every Friday. So I'm going to log <laughs> into my chat. Ordinarily, people are asking me questions about what do I think about baseball, but I think it's going to be a role reversal on uh, on January 13th. <laughs> so what should I do while you're gone, other than count down the days till you return? I not only have to find someone to do this podcast with me, but I have to find something to talk <laughs> about with that person or persons at a time when there's nothing to talk about baseball-wise. Uh, well, I think I saw that Mike Napoli is close to signing, so you might be able to get a free <laughs> okay. podcast out of that yeah, one. that should get me through the first week. <laughs> Keon Broxton, man. Talk about Keon Broxton. <laughs> well, you're gonna you'll make up for it when you get back because that might be the one of the things I'm most looking forward to, other than just the, the pleasure of discourse with you, is that you come pre supplied with topics. That was always the <laughs> the most anxiety inducing part of the podcast was that Sam and I didn't always have things to talk about, but you are obligated to have written about things every day and usually one of those things is worth talking about at least so <laughs> usually if, usually one if worse comes to worse we can always just crib from what you just wrote for people who don't like reading but like listening to to people talk it's, it should be some sort of mutual benefit too because the podcast gets to talk about something that i wrote about and then i was quite looking forward to maybe generating ideas talking to you on the podcast and so it's kind of go back and forth yeah. So we'll see how well that works out. That happened. I, I had you on my other podcast in a segment that has not been published yet. And just in the 12 <laughs> or so minutes we talked, you uh, you got a post idea out of it. So maybe that'll keep happening. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, I don't know how much longer we're going to talk here, but I am I am very delighted and honored and excited to uh, to start this. I know it's, it's weird. It's, it's inevitably are going to be a little weird because there is 50% of the podcast missing, right. uh, being replaced by a somewhat unknown uh, 50% relative to the podcast. And and so uh, that part, some level of weirdness is unavoidable, but I hope that it, uh, it is not too weird. And it is definitely a little terrifying to try to replace Sam. Uh, mm-hmm. I shouldn't even say replace because that is impossible. But Succeed, Sam. You and him have built a very good thing. And uh, I am... I am going to try my best to make sure that it doesn't suck uh, from January 13th on forward. Cool, good. That's uh, a good way to evoke sympathy is to say something self-deprecating and vulnerable. And you have just done both <laughs> of those things. So good job. Yeah, well, you might be unknown to a few people who listen to the podcast, even though you've been on the podcast, I don't know, four times, I think. But you are uh, a pretty popular guy, generally, in our in our small little circle, in our little corner of the internet. And a lot of the initial reactions to the news were uh, widespread weeping about Sam leaving, but then, but at least Jeff is replacing him, and I like Jeff, which was the, the reaction that I was hoping to, to have in a co-host. So that was nice to see. And I've been reading you and listening to you for years and uh, always sort of wanted to be better friends or, or colleagues or collaborators with you in some fashion. And so I'm happy that this is happening. And when I started the podcast with Sam, I barely knew him at all. We had met once and sat silently next to each other for an entire <laughs> baseball game. <laughs> and uh, I know you a little bit better than that. So I think we have a, a head start in, in that respect. And I think it's going to be good. I think it'll be a little different, but I, I think we can put a compelling product out there. Yeah, we'll, we'll kind of feel our way around how, how it's going to be different. But I know earlier today when, uh, when I was talking to my brother before we, uh, we left the holidays, he was talking about John Mulaney, the comedian John Mulaney, and how much he wishes that he could just be John Mulaney's friend based on what he's, uh, yeah. what he's heard and when he's seen him live. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say that you're quite as 
funny as John Mulaney, but <laughs> no. you have a charm about you. And uh, if you could be, say, the, the baseball Internet's John Mulaney, then uh, I would observe you and think, oh, I would like to be friends with, yeah. uh, with the baseball Internet's John Mulaney. So this is an exciting opportunity to be friends. Hopefully this won't be the, the John Mulaney's network sitcom of podcasts because that didn't go so well. Well, stay tuned, everyone. <laughs> no, best case, I hope that this will be like uh, – it'll be like the, the great debates like was Cheers better with Diane or Rebecca or was ACDC <laughs> – better with Bon Scott or Brian Johnson and, and there will be people who like one or the other more but everyone agrees that they were both still worth listening to and uh, that's what we're going for being worth listening to so anything to hit me against Sam <laughs> yeah I mean I don't know I remember like when uh, when Tino Martinez replaced Don Mattingly and everyone hated Tino Martinez because he was replacing Don Mattingly <laughs> but now Tino Martinez gets uh, standing ovations and uh, everyone loves Tino Martinez although I guess he still wasn't as good as Don Mattingly so that maybe is not the best analogy to use here but, <laughs> but he was pretty good and he's widely beloved now well thankfully there's no versions of Fangraphs or baseball prospectus out there who are uh, running statistical analysis of podcast hosts so we can <laughs> never really know who's better between us all right, I guess we can wrap this up. You've got to get to, to Chile, and uh, this was this was a weird setting for our first official part of a podcast. But <laughs> Sam did hundreds of episodes from a car in his garage, so a terminal <laughs> in the LA airport is not all that weird by comparison. Anyway, have a have a good trip, and I will be anxiously awaiting your return. And I look forward to doing this thing with you on a regular basis. I am very excited, and it's going to help make the return from vacation feel like it's not the end of a vacation. So it's going to be great. Two weeks away. All right. Until then. Take care. Okay, so that will do it for today and for 2016. Thanks so much to those of you who've been listening for years, and welcome to those of you who've joined us recently. I know some of you are feeling many emotions right now, but we will get through this transition together. Just a couple of follow-ups from episode 999, our last listener email episode. The first, Sam wanted me to mention this, that a listener named Aaron pointed out that when we were talking about today's big league stars not being part of extended big league families, we missed that Adrian Gonzalez played with the Padres with his brother, Edgar Gonzalez. Good catch by Aaron. And since we were talking about the plausibility of Mike Trout batting left-handed, listener named Brian pointed us toward a sporting news article from 2015 about Trout hitting left-handed in a high school home run derby. Trout told MLB.com, I actually beat my high school team in home run derby left-handed. They made me hit left-handed. They told me I had to hit lefty or I couldn't play. So possibly relevant. You can support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash effectivelywild. Again, the proceeds from your pledges go to me and to Sam and to Jeff and Fangraphs and to Baseball Prospectus and make it possible for us to keep doing the show. And just since the last episode, six new listeners have signed up, which I really appreciate. Their names are John Brousseau, Brian Hare, Mike Livingston, Sean Sangenberger, Joe Rosbars, and Stephen P. Mayer. So thanks to all of you. I'll get one last 2016 plug-in for the book Sam and I wrote, The Only Rules It Has to Work, Our Wild Experiment Building a New Kind of Baseball Team. Check out the site at theonlyrulesithastowork.com. Leave us a review on Amazon and Goodreads if you like it. I know a bunch of you got it for Christmas and are working through it now, so I hope you enjoy it. You can join our Facebook group, now approaching 5,000 members at facebook.com slash groups slash effectivelywild. And you can rate and review and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes. For now, you can keep contacting us via email at podcast at baseballperspectives.com or by 
by messaging us through Patreon. Bear with us over the next couple weeks as the show moves to Fangraphs. You shouldn't have to do anything. You'll still be subscribed. The episodes will keep coming, and we will still have the old episodes hosted somewhere to be determined, but they'll continue to be accessible. And that's it. We had a great run with Sam. I hope we have a great run with Jeff. I hope you all have a happy new year, and I will talk to you in 2017. Okay. Hey, be well. We did it.